begin our time this morning, I'm going to ask if you open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be looking at various passages and verses this morning. Because before launching into our next book study that we're going to be going through as a church, the Old Testament, the prophet Haggai, I thought since we were a few weeks away from Easter Sunday that I wanted us to spend some time thinking together about the resurrection of Christ, and in particular about the resurrection of Christ as it relates to our salvation. And by our salvation, I mean the, the three different aspects to our salvation, that is, Christ's resurrection as it relates to our justification as it relates to our sanctification, and as it will relate to our glorification. Then on Easter Sunday, I want to talk with you about our resurrection. Because you see, all of us, unless we're here when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, all of us one day will be raised from the dead. We will all have a resurrection. That is, for us who are believers, we will be raised unto life to spend eternity with God. And for unbelievers, we will be raised really unto death. That is, to experience eternal death separated from God. Thus, we're all going to face resurrection one day. But for this morning, I want us to consider together the significance of Christ's resurrection as it relates to our justification, that is, our salvation, our being declared right with God. And let me just say, first of all, that understand that for anyone here to be saved and to be justified, declared right with God and reconciled with God, you must believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And by resurrection, I mean the physical, literal, bodily resurrection of Christ. And I had you turn here to 1 Corinthians 15 because if you look down with me for a moment at verse 12, you will see that even early on in the church, there was a teaching that was going around that was threatening the true gospel. And down in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Paul and the other apostles, as we will see, were going around and preaching not only that Jesus died on the cross, but they were teaching and preaching that on the third day he was literally physically raised from the dead, and yet already within the first 30, 40, 50 years of the early church, while the New Testament was still being written, there were teachings going around in the church, even here in the church at Corinth, that was saying that there was no resurrection of the dead. That's why Paul goes on to say in verse 13, if it's true that there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So clearly this was a problem that they were having to address. In fact, Paul mentions something specifically about this 
with two men in the church at Ephesus. If you will, turn with me for just a moment over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. In verses 17 and 18, Paul there in verse 16 is telling them to avoid worldly and empty chatter, just leads to further ungodliness. And he says in verse 17, and their talk was spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth. And here's what they're saying. They're saying the resurrection has already taken place. And by doing this, they are upsetting the faith of some. What did they mean? What did Paul mean? He said that these two men were teaching the resurrection had already taken place. That is, they were denying a physical, literal, bodily resurrection. They were saying all the only kind of resurrection there will be is a spiritual resurrection. Now, beloved, it is true that in our salvation, there is a spiritual resurrection because the Bible teaches us over in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, that we are dead spiritually in our sins. We are dead spiritually, and when God saves us, he does that in that sense, spiritually raise us from the dead. He gives us a new heart and gives us life in Christ. That's why the Apostle John says over in his epistle in 1 John that you pass from death to life. So it is true, there is a spiritual resurrection that is a part of our salvation, but that is not all that there is. And to deny that there is a physical resurrection and a physical resurrection of Christ is, is to deny a central component to the gospel by which someone must believe in order to be justified and saved in the sight of God. One must believe this. They must believe rightly about Jesus' resurrection as it regards to his physical, literal, bodily resurrection. The apostles needed to believe it. They had to understand that Jesus was not a ghost when he came back. He was not a spirit, but he was there, a real person with a body. That's why, if you remember, when Jesus came with them, what was the thing he did with them? He sat down and he ate with them to show them that he is here in the flesh in that sense, that is, he has been actually raised from the dead. Thomas, who wasn't there with them when Jesus did that, needed to believe that Jesus had actually literally been raised from the dead. That's why he said, touch me, Thomas, and see that it is real and it is true. We understand this because over in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 10 and verses 9 and 10, we're taught that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you don't believe, if someone doesn't believe that Jesus was literally raised from the dead, then they are not saved. It is central to our salvation that we believe in the resurrection of Christ. Oh, but this is why whenever the Apostle John is writing over in 1 John, when he opens it up in chapter 1, he's not here when he makes these descriptions. He's not just talking about 
what they saw of Jesus whenever he was here before his death. He's talking about even after his resurrection. When he says in verse 1, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our own eyes, what we have looked at, we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen, what we have heard, we proclaim to you also. Why? So that you too may have fellowship with us. In order for someone to have fellowship and a relationship with God, they must believe in the resurrection of Christ. And John was saying, look, we're a witness to this. We saw him with our own eyes. We beheld him. We touched him. And by that beholding there, he's not saying we just looked at him as he walked by. He says, we studied this man. We, We watched him closely. We observed his life even after his resurrection and those days that he was with us. And we're here to testify, do you, that he was literally raised from the dead. And eternal life is found in him and in him alone. If you will, with me for a moment, go back to the book of Acts. Because I want you to see that the resurrection of Christ was at the heart of the preaching of the apostles. And I'm going to take the two men in the book of Acts that are the primary preachers, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. And I want you to see from their preaching, whether they're preaching to a Jewish audience or they're preaching to a Gentile audience, at the heart of their message was the resurrection of Christ. And by the resurrection, they mean the bodily resurrection of Christ. Because if you're not thinking about the bodily resurrection of Christ, what they're referring to here makes no sense. It makes no sense. In Acts chapter 2, Peter here is speaking to the Jewish crowd there on the day of Pentecost. And they've gathered together and he's beginning to proclaim to them Jesus. And he says of them, men of Israel, in verse 22, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Verse 24, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life, You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may commonly say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. 
And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. That he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer to decay. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. You see, the main thing Peter is actually emphasizing to them is the resurrection of Christ. If Jesus wasn't raised, as we're going to see, then his death really meant nothing. And not only that, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, there can be no fulfillment of these scriptures that we see here that has to be talking about the bodily resurrection of the Messiah when he says that your Holy One will not suffer decay. That's physical. He will not suffer decay. And not only that, how is it that God could promise that a descendant of David would be able to sit on his throne forever unless it's going to be someone who has died and been raised from the dead? And that is the Christ, the Messiah. Here's Peter speaking to this Jewish audience. Now let's go to a Gentile audience. Go over to, to Acts chapter 10. I want you to see, beloved, it doesn't matter who they're talking to. They're going to talk about and preach the resurrection. In Acts chapter 10, we find Peter now at the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, a centurion. And as he's preaching, he's preaching to them about Christ and what Jesus did. And he says there, beginning, just pick it up with me, beginning in verse 39, where he says, We are witnesses of all these things he did, talking about Jesus, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to go preach to the people and solemnly to testify to this, that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Peter preaching to the house of Cornelius is saying, God raised him up on the third day. God granted us the privilege of being able to see him in the flesh after he had been raised from the dead. He ate with us. He drank with us. We're telling you, he was actually raised from the dead. And we're here to testify to that reality. Peter knew they had to believe this in order to be justified in the sight of God. Let's look for a moment at the Apostle Paul. Look over in Acts chapter 13. Go to Acts chapter 13 now for a moment. And Paul here is preaching to the Jewish crowd. Verse 26, he's preaching to the sons of Abraham's family. And those who are among you who fear God. He's preaching to them about Christ and how Jesus had been put to death. And he says in verse 28, And although they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. And when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from 
the dead. And for many days he appeared to, to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. Go on to read what he says, and we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children, and that he raised up Jesus also, as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. He goes on to say, look down in verse uh, 35. Therefore he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, was laid among the fathers, and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Again, beloved, we understand the, the natural reading of those words, that the only way that makes sense is that Paul here is emphasizing that Jesus was actually literally physically raised from the dead on the third day. That's the distinction between David and Jesus. David died, David was laid in a grave, and David underwent decay. Jesus did not because God raised him from the dead because he had promised that his Holy One would not suffer decay. This is what Paul was preaching to this Jewish crowd. Then, if you will, for a moment, go over to Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, here Paul, in verse 16, is in the city of Athens. And he's before some Gentiles. He's been provoked in verse 16 because he's been walking around the city and he's observing that this is a city that's just full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. He's preaching the resurrection of Christ. You can go back to the earlier part of chapter 17 when Paul goes into Thessalonica and we see there in verse 2 that it was his custom that he would go into the synagogues and reason with them from the scriptures explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had not only to suffer but to rise again from the dead. You now, if you will, for a moment, go over to 1 Corinthians 15 where we started and notice what it says there. Paul says, this is my gospel. This is what I preached to the church, to the people at Corinth when they got saved. Verse 1, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which also you stand, by which also you are saved. See, you're saved by this gospel. This is the gospel that will bring salvation to someone. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. See, this is why Paul was so concerned over in 2 Timothy when he says about these two men, Hymenaeus and Philetus, he says they're upsetting the faith of people because they've gone astray from the truth in that they are now denying a central component to the gospel by which someone is saved. And if someone doesn't remain in that, then he says, I know that their so-called believing was in vain. 
Verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. This is what Paul would preach. Paul would go in and he would show them from the word of God. He was reasoning them with them from the scripture, showing this is why your Messiah, this is why Christ had to die. He had to suffer. And he would go back into the Old Testament. That was the only scriptures they had. And he would begin to show them whether it was in the law or in the prophets or in the Psalms or the wisdom literature. And he would show how this pointed to the, the Messiah, the one who was to come that had to suffer. But he would also go to the same places and show them he had to be raised from the dead. There had to be a resurrection. And then he would say and show them and tell them that this one Jesus, the Messiah that was raised from the dead, he made actual, literal, physical appearances. He appeared to his apostles. He appeared to James. He appeared to me. He appeared to several hundred people. Several hundred people could testify that Jesus was raised from the dead. Because they saw him. So, beloved, this is obviously a central component. If you want to think about the resurrection of Christ and its connection and its significance to our justification, you must believe in the resurrection of Jesus in order to be justified in the sight of God. But why? Why? Why is the resurrection so important? Why is it so important to our justification that we see Peter and Paul, everywhere they go, this is what they're preaching? Why is this so significant? Well, I want you to see it's because Christ was raised from the dead that we can be justified in the sight of God. Look with me for just a moment over in Romans chapter 4. Go to Romans chapter 4 for just a moment. Rightfully so, we think a lot about the cross of Christ. We think about his work on the cross, his death on the cross. We preach the cross and, and we should. And, and it, it is a central um, element of our gospel. But so is the resurrection. It says, look at Romans 4. In verse 25, it says, He, talking about Jesus, who was delivered over because of our transgressions. We understand that. But he was raised because of our justification. Christ was raised for our justification. That is, beloved, what, what's Paul saying there? Paul is saying this, that if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then God would not be able to declare you right with him. He would not, be, he would not do that. Even though he had been delivered over for our sins. 
His resurrection is central to our justification. You may ask, well, how is that? Why is that? Well, let me give you just three quick reasons why that is. Christ's resurrection is necessary and it is significant in our justification, our being made right with God and declared right with God because it validated and it vindicated three specific things. It validated and vindicated who he was. It validated and vindicated what it is that he said and the scripture said. And it validated and vindicated what he did for us on the cross and in his life. That is, without the resurrection of Christ, we would have no validation and no vindication about who Jesus is, about what Jesus said, and about what Jesus actually did while he was here on the earth. Let me just show you that. Go over to Romans chapter 1. Let's first see how he, was, he vindicated and he validated who he was. That is, that he was the Son of God because of the resurrection. In Romans chapter 1, Paul is talking about his gospel again that he's been preaching. He was set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. And notice verse 4, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. According to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul says Jesus was declared the son of God when he was raised from the dead. Unequivocally, he was saying God was declaring to this world, this is my beloved son. This is the son of God. When he raised him from the dead. If you recall, this is one of the issues that the, the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people had with Jesus when he was here walking on the earth in his ministry. Jesus was going, was going around and he was claiming that he and the Father were one and that he was sent here by the Father. And when they heard Jesus saying that, they understood him rightly. They understood that he was teaching, that he was equal with God. They understood that he was teaching when he was saying, this is my father. He was teaching them that he was the son of God. And they thought that was blasphemy. And they didn't believe it. But it was true. And when the father through the spirit raised him from the dead, he validated what Jesus had been saying and who he was, that he was the son of God. We're told over in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 that he was vindicated by the spirit. He was vindicated by the spirit. What, what does Paul mean there? when he says that Christ was vindicated by the Spirit. And that word for vindication is actually the same word that we're thinking about here, justified. How is it that Jesus, in some sense, was vindicated or justified by the Spirit? 
Well, it's not that he was needing to be declared right with God. That's not what he means by that. He's using that word the same way that the Apostle James uses it and thinks about it over in his epistle, in the epistle of James. What does James teach? James teaches that Abraham was justified by his works. So is he saying that Abraham was saved and justified and declared right with God by his works? No, he was saying there, when he's saying justified, he's saying he was vindicated. That is, he was validated. His faith was vindicated and validated by his works. And that's what he's saying here, that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead was validating that he was the Son of God. This is what he did. Again, I would ask you this, beloved, how could we say for sure that Jesus was the promised Messiah and that Jesus was and is the Son of God if he hasn't been raised from the dead? Because if he hasn't been raised from the dead, then as far as we can know, he's no different than anyone else who came here. He's no different than any other person who has died. But he has been raised. Thus, who he is, the Son of God, has been validated. It has been vindicated. Secondly, his resurrection vindicated and validated what he said. Go back to the Gospel of John with me for a moment. Go to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. It, it validated what he said and it validated the Scriptures and what the Scriptures had to say. You've seen already in Peter and Paul's preaching that they have been making reference to Old Testament scriptures, primarily in the Psalms. And how it is that the Holy One was not to suffer decay. And what the Lord was speaking about there was the resurrection of the Messiah. But do you remember something Jesus said one day here in John chapter 2? And Jesus was talking to the, the Jews there and they're, they're struggling with him and some of the things he's doing and he's, already, he's gone through now with a whip and he, he's, he's drove them out because they have turned in the, the house of the Lord into a, a, a place to, to, for, for money and a business there and the Lord has a zeal for the house of the Lord. In verse 19, Jesus answered them. Well, verse 18, the Jews then said to him, what sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things. And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it took 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this and they believed the scripture and what else did they believe? The word which Jesus had spoken. Jesus had been teaching them during his ministry with them that he was not only going to die but that God was going to raise him on the third day. And when he was actually raised from the dead on the third day, and then he showed himself to his apostles, beloved, he vindicated, he validated what it is that he was saying. And if we can't trust Jesus, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, 
then what he was teaching about his resurrection was not true. And if we can't believe him for that, then we can't believe him for anything else that he had to say. And what he had to say about salvation and about the forgiveness of sins and about the only way to enter into the kingdom of God was through him. Jesus walked around and said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. You want to get to the Father? You want to get into the kingdom of God? You have to go through me. Well, why would anyone believe that if he was also saying, I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised again on the third day if that didn't happen? But it did. And when he was raised from the dead, this vindicated and validated for these apostles, and I pray and hope for all of us today, that what he said and what he went around teaching was the truth. And it is the good news of salvation that is in Christ alone. It assured them that, and not only that, but of the scriptures. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, and if he is the Messiah, then God the Father has allowed his son to suffer decay. Which means what was promised about him was not true. And then you can just throw out all the Old Testament too. You see, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then we can just throw out the Old Testament, throw out the New Testament. We can throw it all out. But thankfully, by God's grace, we know that he was raised from the dead. And thus he has validated what he said. But let me give you one last thing. When you think about the resurrection of Christ. I want you to see how it connects to your justification, beloved, because it validated, it vindicated what he did, what he actually did. And by that, I want you to see what he actually did in his life and what he actually did through his death. Through his life, I mean by the words he taught by the works he accomplished through his obedience to the will of God. God the Father was totally pleased with his son, totally pleased with Jesus, and he declared that when he raised him from the dead. Thus, as it says in Scripture over in Romans, it says he was the propitiation for our sins. He was satisfied. The Father was satisfied with the perfect life of Jesus Christ. Christ. Because you see, beloved, in your salvation and you're being justified in the sight of God, you need to have the righteousness of God given to you, credited to you. You can't earn it. You can't establish your own righteousness with God. You can't establish your own standing with God. The only way you can have standing with God is through the righteousness of God, and that is more specifically through the righteous life of Christ. And when God raised him from the dead, he was declaring there, I was completely satisfied with his life. With his life. But also clearly, he was saying, I was satisfied with his death. That in the death of Christ, he could say, it is finished. That he had taken the full 
taken the full fury of God's wrath for our sins upon himself. Look with me just for a moment. Go over to 1 Corinthians 15 for just a moment because I want you to see how important this is. As Paul says this in verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And here's the significance of this. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. And here's the reason why, because you're still in your sins. And the reason why you would still be in your sins is because God's wrath would not have been satisfied by the death of Christ. But when Jesus was raised from the dead, the Father was boldly declaring that I am satisfied. My wrath is satisfied. He has stepped in to be the propitiation for our sins. Thus God can be just and right and righteous and forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all our sins because Jesus took our sins upon himself. And that's what he was doing on the cross. So beloved, if Jesus was not raised, then it has not been vindicated who he is. If Jesus was not raised, it has not been vindicated what he had to teach and say. If Jesus has not been raised, then what he did did not satisfy the wrath of God. And we're all hopeless, helpless in our sins. And we have no, we have no path. We have no way of being forgiven of our sins. We have no way of having the righteousness of God credited and imputed and given to us if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead. But oh, hear me this morning. He has been. It is certain. It is sure. That he has been raised from the dead. Thus you can't put your full faith and trust in him. In his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. And if you will do that. As Paul says there in 1 Corinthians 15. Here's the message I declared and I delivered to you. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures and he was appeared to hundreds of people showing himself to be raised from the dead validating he is the son of God he was the lamb of God he was everything that was needed and all now you need to do is turn from your sins and put your faith in him and if you will, you will be justified in the sight of God. Declared right. Though a sinner, God will forgive you. Though a sinner, he will give you the righteousness of Christ to your account. That's the good news of the gospel. That is the good news. You see, beloved, there is no other teaching out there that teaches that that says God has taken care of it all. He's taken care of all of it. So put your faith in His Son. 
Believe upon Christ. See your need of a Savior. If the Son of God came to take upon Himself our sins, it reminds us that we're all in need of a Savior. And He is that Savior. He's the only Savior. He's the only path to redemption. He's the only path to eternal life. There's no other path. No matter what those paths may promise, no matter what they may say, no matter how good it may sound to your ears, please understand there's only one way to the Father. There's only one way to eternal life and it's through Jesus Christ. And we know that for sure because God raised him from the dead. He raised him from the dead. So I would hope and pray that this morning that everyone here leaves here knowing Christ. So that means maybe for some of you this morning, this morning you need to put your faith in Christ. You need to come to Jesus and you need to trust Him. You know you can trust Him because He was raised from the dead. You can trust He is the Son of God. He was sent here by the Father. He lived a life without sin. He went to a cross where He died for our sins. Why? Because God raised Him from the dead. At the time when these things were being written, there were hundreds of people that could testify to that. But more importantly, beloved, the Spirit of God can testify to that truth in your heart this very morning. If that's where you are, you need to come to Christ. Put your faith in Christ. But for us as believers, my hope this morning is for you is this, is that you will leave here with an assurance of your salvation, with a joy in your heart, and with a confidence. A confidence that I trusted my life to Jesus and I am confident that I am eternally secure and justified in the sight of God and nothing can take that away from me. Why? Because God raised him from the dead. Because of the resurrection, I have certainty. I have a sureness. I have a guarantee that when I put my faith in Christ, God declared me right with him. It's not based on my life. It's not based on how well I try to keep things. It's based solely, only on Jesus. His life, His death, and His resurrection. So we can leave here with a confidence in that reality. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer.